Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. there everybody it's been a hot minute since i've been back on a podcast and it crazy how like you have plans to do things you want to do things and you have every great intention and then like something gets in the way you forget what you need to do and then like a week has gone by and you haven't done what you said you're going to do or wanted to do yeah that's me with this podcast lately so many things have been i don't know life just happens man things get in the way but here i am i did a video uh, a couple days ago on youtube and I haven't done any real book promotion in such a long time. <clears throat> Not any kind of steady, solid things. But I do have a couple of book signings coming up uh, at Big Walker Lookout over in Wythe County. And uh, actually, next weekend is my first one. It's a Saturday. And then on June 4th, also a Saturday, I'll be there from noon until four both days, unless I sell a lot of books that I take. And uh, I'll have a few of them with me. So... Hopefully, uh, if any of you are in, uh, that are listening to this are within you know, short driving distance, we don't go way out of your way or anything, but if you're around, swing by, come come say hello and uh, and uh, pick up a book if you don't have one. I sell all of them at book signings for $10. I know inflation sucks, but I'm not raised. I refuse to raise a price on anybody um, when I go to a book signing, even though it's costing me a little more to cover the cost of the books. I'm not making much money off these things anyway, so hey, there we go. Which brings me back to my first point of why I did that video to promote a book. I had a lot of really high hopes for Revelation Calling because I wrote it just before the pandemic and uh, you know published it and got it out there. And so many crazy things happened right after that that it was almost like prophetic in this book. You know, the mention of a pandemic toward the end. You know, um, I'm not going to give too many spoilers away on it, but then also alluding to Jeffrey Epstein and Epstein Island and human trafficking because there's kidnappings in this book. It is every bit a murder mystery and a thriller uh, of a book. So um, I alluded to that. Now, this was six months before Jeffrey Epstein got arrested that June for uh, human trafficking and child sex trafficking. So it's so kind of I mean, I knew about what he was doing because he had been in the news prior. And when, you know, a lot of high-profile celebrities and politicians were still rubbing elbows with this guy, this guy was like, who, who in their right mind will associate with this creep after he's then, you know, got a slap on the wrist jail time? And now he's out, and he just, he catered to the rich and the famous and the powerful. 
for human trafficking and you know, young girls and even young boys. This was terrible what happened, right? But um, so it's kind of prophetic. I even mentioned this in the book. Now, obviously, I'm not no prophet, but it, it was uh, it was really interesting. And I based this book, Revelation Calling, off of uh, the mystery of the Georgia Guidestones. And I'm not going to go into any detail on that. I've done a show on it before. But if you want to go Google it, you'll find the Georgia Guidestones. It's kind of like a like America's Stonehenge. It's all often referred to as that. Back in 1980, actually started in 79, some stranger shows up in the middle of Elberton, Georgia, in Elbert County. Middle of nowhere. It's hard to find even to this day. And had a blueprint, had all these schematics of what he wanted to do. So he goes to this granite company and says, I want to erect this monument. And what this monument is, it's four big, giant, 20-foot-tall slabs of granite. And engraved in the granite, carved into that granite, is a new set of Ten Commandments for a new age. And this set of Ten Commandments sparks, I mean, smells a lot like New World Order and World Communism. Population control is mentioned in this thing. Um, so he did it in eight different languages. And then there's a capstone on top, and it had an engraved... Same thing engraved in four ancient languages. Not only that, but this thing was set up so that it was astrologically aligned. You know, the solstice. And had, you know, so that not only did they have to have experts from the United Nations to come in to actually do the translations so people could do the carvings, engravings, um, but they also had to have people come in from NASA uh, to actually have the thing properly set up so that it was aligned with solstices. This was, okay, wild. It was wildly expensive. The guy used a false name, Robert C. Christian. And to this day, no one knows who he represented, even though he said he represented a, a powerful group of, they've been playing this for 20 years. Uh, he, he, like his name is still not known, even though he had the, the uh, bank president set up the uh, banking account. Everybody signed non-disclosure agreements and took those secrets of who this was and who he represented to the grave. And I thought, wow, what a what a mystery here in the middle of nowhere, America. That um, it just you know just was just crazy that it, that something like that was there. So I drove down to Elberton, Georgia, way off the beaten path, kind of a tough little place to find, even with driving directions. Um, and I found little Elberton, Georgia. Quaint little town. Quaint little town. However, I couldn't get anybody to talk to me about the Georgia Guidestones. The only person actually that would talk to me was a pastor down there. And he asked to be remain anonymous. That's fine. Uh, but I appreciate his candor and uh, his, his um, explaining why when pastors would preach against what that guidestones stood for they would often be harassed threatened behind closed doors um, even sometimes occult groups would leave little messages for them for example he said under his church they found um i guess somebody crawled into the cross spaces under the church and had done animal sacrifices under the altar there uh, kind of a satanic type ritual scary stuff folks anyway 
I wrote this book, Revelation Calling, and it I wanted it to be it's the first time I've ever written anything like this, and I wanted it to be something akin to a Dan Brown or David Baldacci type of book. And those that read it actually said I, I pulled it off really well. So what I wanted to do, I, I really had high hopes this book would be a really big seller. Uh, I know I write some off-the-wall stuff, but this was this was a lot more mainstream. It was a deep state thriller, political, a biblical thriller as well. And I wanted to just kind of read the first chapter because I wanted to do a book reading of it. Now, I'm not a professional reader, and I haven't haven't done any of these um, you know, audio books. So I'll try to add inflection. This is the first time I've read this, so I'm, I'm going into this blind. And uh, I'll read the first chapter, and you can decide if you like it or not. Uh, maybe you might want to buy it at that point, or maybe you want to share it with friends. And, and uh, But I would really love to see this book get traction because it had a really powerful message at the end. The theme of it, the underlying themes of it, I thought were really, really powerful. So I'll go ahead and start chapter 1. Ephesians 6.12 For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Thursday, April 3rd, 2008, Elbert County, Georgia. I never thought a class about the stock market could nearly put me to sleep, Elvin joked with one of his classmates as they left the satellite campus of Athens Technical College. I was already It was already a warm Georgia night, even if spring was only two weeks old. It was something that everyone was used to in the Old South. The wind began to pick up as they walked. Dark clouds in the distance hovered over Elberton. I know. We have to watch one more documentary on the Great Depression. I'm going to need a case of energy drinks just to get through it, she laughed. But I guess that's why they call economics the dismal science. Yeah, no joke. I'm going to bring a couple of Red Bulls next time. What are you guys doing tonight, Elvin asked. A couple of us are going to go grab something uh, to go from Ruthie's Drive Up and take dinner up to Hartwell Lake and hang out. Do you want to go? Um... You may have to take a rain check from me. I have somewhere else I need to be, he said, when he noticed a note tucked under the windshield wiper blade of his beaten-up Pontiac Grandad. Uh, too bad. Maybe next week, she said, hopefully. Have a fun weekend. She bounced down the stairs to meet a couple of fellow classmates and dis disappeared around the corner of the building. Elvin cautiously approached his car and looked around to see if anyone was watching him. Lately, he was silent. He was silently a nervous wreck. When he opened the note, his nervousness was replaced with full-blown, terrified paranoia. He looked around again, more closely this time. If someone was watching, he'd never know. The old saying about being careful what you ask for came to mind. Considering where his curiosity had led him, if someone approached him now, he'd probably never see them coming. If they don't wish to be seen, they wouldn't be. He looked at the note again. Elvin had played a dangerous game, a game of human chess. Now it was his move, and if he didn't make one, the people he cared about most would pay the price for his reckless curiosity. They would be pawns in a deadly game, inconsequential casualties, and something far bigger than he imagined when his obsession with the notorious local landmark began. Elvin wanted to run, 
to get behind the wheel and go as far as a tank of gas would take him. He wanted to turn back time and forget all about his obsession with those vile stones. He wanted to forget about what he saw that brought him to this. But he couldn't. It was too late. The note was clear. Come to the stones and come alone. Any deviation from those clear instructions would cause unnecessary death. He knew, or they knew where he lived. His family was close. It was the moment where he had to decide if he loved them enough to pay the price alone to spare them. If he didn't, then they would certainly pay the price for him, even though they knew nothing of what he saw. These people, they cared, about, they cared nothing about the innocent. They cared about information. And Elvin had information that he wasn't supposed to have. He was a loose end and nothing more. He made the heart-wrenching decision to turn down Hartwell Highway toward the stones. The uneasy feeling in the pit of his stomach quickly turned to dread. A million scenarios of his own demise flashed through his mind, but the fear of not knowing was worse than anything he could imagine. The clouds on the horizon became darker the closer he got to Elberton. The drizzling rain left a foggy mist on the window. He hadn't noticed until now that his hands were trembling. He kept reading the note over and over in his mind, as if he were trying to decipher some hidden meaning in words. Unlike the mystery surrounding the stones, the note was perfectly clear. Come to the stones, or the blood of your family will be on your hands. As he got closer, he wondered how much they knew about him. Could all the conspiracies about Big Brother technology be true? Had they listened to his phone calls? Had they watched him and his family even in the assumed privacy of their own home? Was his car bugged? Could they hear the nervous panic and the rhythm of his breathing at this very moment? Relax, man, he scolded himself. Get a grip. No one has bugged your car. No one is listening to your calls, he told himself out loud. He kept telling himself that, but he wasn't convinced. It was amazing what a person could believe as gospel after years of reading about every conspiracy theory under the sun, he thought. But the guidestones, they were different. The answer to this mystery was somewhere in his own backyard. His hometown was ground zero for something sinister. He felt that truth in his gut. That's why he pressed on, lurking in the shadows of his own community, until he found the answer he was looking for. The next question that needed answering was why? Conspiracy theorists speculated, but the real answer as to why those stones were put there was elusive and likely never told, even to the very people who built them, who carved those nefarious words into the giant granite slabs. The stars had completely disappeared, and the drizzle had turned into a steady rain. His stomach was churning, and he wanted to pull off the side of the highway and throw up. He took a drink of soda, hoping it would ease the sudden nausea. He slowed down to a near stop in the middle of the road. It was his last chance to turn the car around and run, to survive the night. He wanted to cry, but held back. Elvin took a deep breath and turned left onto the narrow road, barely big enough for one car, and pulled into the small parking lot. The sky lit up above the clouds off in the distance over Elberton. He looked at the black four-door four sedan parked beside him, 
but its tinted windows kept him from seeing if anyone was inside. He looked ahead at the stones directly in front of him. He spotted the dark outline of a man in a long coat standing by nearly tw by the nearly 20-foot-tall monument. Elvin wondered if it was too late to run, wondered if someone was standing outside his house waiting on the phone, uh, waiting on the phone call to eliminate them because he ran from his fears. What the heck have I done, he mumbled to himself before nervously getting out of the car. He slowly approached the monument. Another streak of, fly, of light flashed above the clouds. It looked and felt like a bad omen. The rain fell steady, a little harder now. He looked at the man from under the dripping brim of his baseball cap with watery eyes. He rubbed them in an attempt to pull himself together. If these people wanted to intimidate him, they succeeded. It didn't mean that he had to show it and give them the satisfaction. He might have taken his obsession about this local mystery too far, but he did have his dignity. I came alone, just like you said. I didn't call anyone. There's no need for anything bad to happen tonight. Oh, I know you came alone, that you didn't call anyone. You did the right thing, keeping it to yourself. Do you know I didn't call anyone, or are you just taking me at my word, Elvin asked. The curiosity was killing him. He wanted to know if the phones were bugged. If these people were as powerful as he thought, the man didn't answer. He gave him an arrogant smirk instead and told Elvin all he needed to know. Mr. Adams, I'm glad you could make it. Did I have a choice? Elvin responded. No, no one ever does when the situation gets this far. Curiosity. They say it killed the cat. Well, as long as it doesn't kill my family, Elvin struggled to reply. The man didn't say anything. It was hard to see him in the dark, but Elvin could feel his eyes boring into him. He wasn't sure what was more intimidating, the unseen icy stare from the man or his long shadow stretching away from the stones. I respect that, you know. Your curiosity and in any other circumstance, it might land you a job with us. Your perseverance and stealth got you the answer you were looking for. How do you feel now that you know you solved the mystery of R.C. Christian? Like a dead man walking if you want God's honest truth. Now, now, Mr. Adams, don't need to drag God into this. You got yourself into this situation all on your own. You saw him. We know you did. Mr. Christian, as, we, as we'll call him tonight, doesn't like his good name soiled, as you can imagine. Yes, he had these... Georgia Guidestones put up right here in the middle of nowhere. Did you know that the Cherokee regarded this hill as the center of the world? It's true. This spot is the highest spot in all of Elbert County. And these Guidestones will be standing long after we're all gone. That much I can assure you of. Elvin reached out and touched one of the granite slabs, the one engraved in the English language. He let his fingertips trace a few of the letters, the ones he couldn't reach, anyway. He glanced up at the first guide, the first set of a new set of Ten Commandments for Humanity. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. The first one, he said, is that meant literally? I mean, I mean, you'd have to kill over 6 billion people to bring the number of humans down to that level. 
The man stepped closer to Elvin, but didn't bother to answer his question. Elvin got a good look at him, as good a look as he got of the infamous R.C. Christian. He was much younger than he thought, sporting thick black hair under his fedora. The man's silence sent a shiver up his spine. He felt his stomach twist, and he desperately wanted to throw up. Fear will do that, he reasoned. You saw Mr. Christian. We know you did. We didn't expect someone hiding and watching when we brought him here. His identity was supposed to stay hidden. Some people around here have already taken that to their graves. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time, kid. It's a good thing you didn't tell anyone, Mr. Adams. Well, how do you know that I didn't? Oh, we know. We? How many people are involved with protecting that man? Do I at least get the full truth before you kill me? Who said I was going to kill you? Elvin didn't hear the man approaching behind him. The needle was in his neck before he realized what was going on. He tried to pull away, but a man, the man had an iron grip on him, pinning his right arm to his body to keep him from struggling. It only took a second for the injection, but the man held the needle in his neck a second longer than he needed to. He laughed softly into Elvin's ear before he pulled it out and shoved him to the ground. A fog overcame his senses immediately as he laid under the giant slabs. His vision grew hazy, but he saw another man get out of the back seat of the sedan and approach. The Hulk standing over him wrapped the needle in a cloth and handed it to him before leaning down and slamming Elvin in the face with a broad, heavy fist. He reached into Elvin's coat pocket and tossed his keys to his partner. Elvin sat up and watched as the other man got into his car. The younger man stepped closer and looked down at Elvin with an emptiness and coldness in his eyes. Elvin wondered if he even had a soul. No, Mr. Adams, I'm not going to kill you. You're going to wish I did, though, he said. A wave of the drug washed over him. He looked up at the guidestones to try to focus, but they appeared to be rippling like water, like tossing a stone into a quiet pond. He crawled up to his knees and spotted the taillights of his car just before it turned back onto the highway and disappeared into the night. I have other plans for you, Mr. Adams. There's a price to pay for what you did, and you will pay it. Don't fight the drug. It's much easier if you don't. I wish you luck where you're going, the young man said. You're going to need it. Elvin accepted his fate, but a sudden rush of courage convinced him that he didn't have to make it easy on him. Blood was already pouring from his nose from the blast in the face that he took. There was no way he could win a fight with a man towering above him. He smiled at him and took a deep breath before throwing his weight into the only punch he had likely land tonight. The man doubled over and crashed onto his knees from the searing pain of Ellen's fist, smashing him into the most sensitive parts. The uppercut to the groin sent him in a painful rage, and he rolled over onto his side, onto the grass by the stones. The heck are you doing, the young man shouted, as he turned just in time to see Elvin's low blow. The young man actually laughed, and Elvin joined in with him, but he didn't have time to waste, reveling in the short-lived victory. He jumped to his knees and sprinted across the field toward the highway, stumbling as he went. He didn't have a car, but he could run, even if he wasn't likely to get far. Are you really going to let that guy get the best of you? 
He hits you right in the professional pride, the young man cackled. You sure I can't kill him? Just go get him. I'll get the car. Elvin staggered across the highway before stopping to catch his breath. He looked back at the guidestones on the hill. He could see his attacker picking up his pace, and he raced across the field toward the road. Or as he raced across the field toward the road, but he couldn't tell how far away he was. The surge of adrenaline had stopped the world from spinning, but only for a moment. He looked down the road toward Elberton. There was a house with a porch light on. The man sprang across the highway, closing in on his prey. If he couldn't kill him, he was certainly going to make him pay for having, get, having uh, to get his hands dirty. Elvin ran toward the light. It was all he could do. And the ground below him began to spin, and everything in front of him began to blur. He stumbled over his own feet and slammed to the wet ground on the side of the highway. He looked back. He could make out some movement, but everything was too hazy to see details. And he suddenly felt really sleepy. With no time to waste, he clambered back to his feet and ran as best he could toward the light. It wasn't far now. If he could get someone's attention, at least one witness to what was happening. He stumbled into the yard, heaving desperately for air. His hands were shaking already. He crashed into a puddle just before he reached the front porch. He couldn't hold back any longer. He pulled up to his knees and leaned on the steps and threw up before crawling onto the porch on all fours. Elvin used the rocking chair by the door to pull himself to his feet. He leaned on the door frame and beat on the screen door as hard as he could. He tried to call out for help, but he could barely get out of sound. Soaked and bleeding, he felt all hope draining out of him the more the drug kicked in. Elvin was knocked onto his back when a man pushed the screen door open. Elvin didn't realize he was leaning on it, hadn't even noticed that a man had opened the door and was talking to him. He looked up at the man's surly face staring over him over the barrel of a shotgun. I said, get off my porch, boy. I don't take kindly to you kids on drugs flying up and down this road, and I certainly don't like it when you nearly beat my door down. Elvin tried to talk, but nothing came out but incoherent mumbling. He looked like a bombed-out druggie, a crazed lunatic with wild eyes. Get off my property before I call the cops. Please call the cops, Elvin managed to stammer. The man slammed the door shut. Elvin rolled over and slid back down the steps into the yard. He had to hide. He crawled across the yard into the woods, across from the house, and leaned against the tree. He wanted to pass out so bad, but the adrenaline was still strong. The dark, blurry silhouette of his attacker finally caught him. He was too stoned and tired to care. Elvin flashed him a smile and managed to ask him what took him so long. Kid, I'd deal you a real beating, but with the amount of drugs I've pumped into you, I don't think you'd even feel it. He slammed his fist into Elvin's gut just for good measure before he turned him over onto his stomach and tied his hands behind his back and tied his ankles. Good luck trying to run from me again. Next time, I won't be so nice. He heaved Elvin over his shoulders and walked out of the woods. The sedan was waiting for him on the side of the highway with the lights off and the trunk open. He tossed him in the trunk like a bag of trash and closed the lid. The young man behind the wheel got out and hurried around to the passenger side to let his paid assassin do the driving. The kid has spirit, 
If you're taking him back to the camp out west, I'm sure you'll get a lot of use out of him. He'll be a star during the hunting games, the assassin laughed. The young man considered it, but didn't bother to remark. Instead, he nodded his approval. So where to now, Elberton? I can still make the call and have the family taken care of. No need. Let's drive back to Hartwell Lake. We can pick up a bite to eat and head back to Atlanta. We'll use one of the private jets and transport him straight to the camp. Chapter 2 Atlanta, present day. Zach Palmer nodded to the bartender. He was ready for another stony ginger. It had been a long day, and he had been looking forward to anything that wasn't a domestic ale for a change. He was glad that his mark led him to a 10 degrees south in Buckhead instead of another dive bar. He had gotten too used to those, too used to the lingering smell of stale beer from tap and hard whiskey on the rocks. Once in a while, a change of scenery with a hint of some excitement could be a good thing even if it was often dangerous in his line of work. Working a corporate espionage case was never as simple as it should be. Whenever money, lies, and secrets were involved, the wolves weren't far behind to clean up any mess that may result. What was protecting a trade secret that yielded hundreds of millions of dollars a year in profits worth? One life? Five lives? Ten? A private investigator got caught uncovering such a plot, risked a mugging gone wrong at any time. Zach was no stranger to walking that line these days. That's all I'm going to read in chapter two. But I wanted to kind of give you an idea of the book and kind of where it was going. Zach Palmer is the main character of the book. And he's the investigator that eventually stumbles upon the missing persons case of Elvin Adams only because of another murder he's trying to solve. So um, with that, that's Revelation Calling. Uh, chapter one. Anyway, if you haven't read it, I invite you to go pick it up. It's fairly inexpensive on Amazon. I'm not raising the prices on there either. You can find it in paperback. You can find it in Kindle. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. And if you like it, uh, make sure you go back to Amazon and uh, leave me a ranking and a comment. I'd certainly appreciate it. You have no idea how those things help out. I've, you know, if I had over 30 or 40 comments, then my book is likely to get um, highlighted. So when you see people with like four or five rankings, and they, they never, they're never on a list to get highlighted. You have to have quite a few rankings and comments. So if you've read the book, I invite you to go uh, leave a ranking comment, leave an honest one. I'd appreciate it uh, with feedback and uh, something that will help other readers. Um, it is May 7th. Tomorrow is Mother's Day, so... Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. And if you're looking to get your mom something for, you know, might be a little late getting there, but if your mom's a reader, get her this book. It actually, uh, like I said, had some powerful themes. And uh, I did let that Ephesians uh, 6, 12 verse sort of be a guide. You know, no matter what it is in life, the truth always sets us free, right? So... Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of the Gonzo Chronicles. I'll be back again soon. I'm actually going to read another short story from Tales, uh, or no, from uh, Bedtime Stories for the Terminally Afraid. Yeah, I thought I'd read, spend some time maybe reading some stories and get people maybe a little bit more interested in some of my work uh, that may not have read anything. Anyway, it's Cyrus Alderwood on Amazon.com. Go look it up. Thanks so much, everybody. 
Have a great Saturday. Enjoy the weekend, and I will see you on down the road.